And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the second best day of the week. It is, of course, the Thursday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining us a little bit here. Uh, to talk about uh, I-bonds and uh, Fed QT and all this stuff that's coming up here soon. So we'll get into that later this morning. So hang around for that. A um, couple of things. The rolling bear market continues, and it's a, a very interesting thing that's been going on. We wrote an article about this uh, several months ago, uh, talking about the, the crash below the surface of the markets. And you know, in that article, what we looked at was the fact that the top 10 stocks of the S&P 500, Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, those companies, um, those were supporting the index. The index wasn't going down nearly as much as a lot as, as the bottom 400 stocks of the index were. You know, they were down 30, 40, 50, 60 percent in some cases. And we talked a lot about the ARK funds and the devastation that a lot of these ARK uh, fund type companies, these innovators, uh, we're going through at that time, but yet because of the magnitude and weighting of the upper side of the index, that top 10 stocks, the index wasn't going down nearly as much, even though there was this real bloodbath of stocks below the surface. Now that narrative has changed, interestingly enough, since April the 1st, the top 10 stocks are down about 8% for the month on average. But yet the bottom 490 stocks are only down 0.08% for the month. So again, a very different story. Now the S&P is being supported by all those stocks that are below the surface, keeping the market fairly stable here over the course of the last month, even though despite there's been a lot of selling pressure in those big large cap mega, mega cap companies. And again, this goes back to the, to the conversation we've had previously is that Despite the fact that markets really haven't done anything in about six months now, we're about the same level we were back in September of last year, haven't really gone anywhere. But, uh, but in that overall market, there's been such a churn of assets, right? I mean, there's just been selling pressure everywhere. And we may look back at this and say, we went through a fairly significant bear market and the market didn't go anywhere. And that's going to be the real interesting side of this. Now, look, we haven't corrected one of the big problems in the markets that ultimately we'll have to deal with, which is valuations. A lot of these companies are still trading at very excessive valuations. Procter & Gamble, Hershey's, these value-based companies, not really a value when they're trading at five times price to sales. They're just not growing fast enough to support that level of sales. Uh, again, and as we look going forward, and something we'll talk about this morning, is that we still have the challenges coming up of less liquidity, the, the impact of inflation on economic growth, and of course, higher interest rates, and how does that impact financial markets, the economy, earnings, profit margins, those type of things. So we may not be through the woods just yet, but it is just an interesting fact that we have been through nine months now of this churn in the markets and the market has just been rotating everywhere. We've rotated from mega caps to, to, the, to the smaller cap companies, back to the mega cap companies, back and forth, uh, really have just been kind of all over the board. 
So again, just something to really kind of pay attention to. Again, I think the real, the real consternation for investors is still yet to come. But as we deal with the impact of higher inflation, higher interest rates, slower economic growth, and of course, quantitative tightening, that's now going to be the next thing coming up. Uh, in the first week of May, the Federal Reserve is going to meet to talk about their schedule for reducing their balance sheet. Now, their balance sheet hasn't reduced at all. In fact, the balance sheet, as of the latest print, is still rising. So they have not started quantitative tightening yet. We are still doing quantitative easing for all intents and purposes um, as they continue to replace bonds on their balance sheet. And the balance sheet itself is still continuing to grow at this point. Um, but again, as we take a look going forward, that will change. Margin debt is also on the decline currently. That is a function of a weaker market that has been reducing people's uh, 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 desire for leverage in their portfolios. So margin debt already starting to come down. And historically, when you have a decline in margin debt and the Fed reducing their balance sheet, that's pretended to lead to more troubled equity markets. Now, it doesn't mean major crashes or anything like that, but markets have a really tough time trying to make an advance in an environment where liquidity and speculation is being reversed by monetary policy actions. Very quickly, though, uh, just to kind of recap where we are this week, um, markets have been just doing okay. We did get back above that 50-day moving average, and we talked about that uh, over the last few days, really, that the markets had violated that support, but not really uh, to a level of, of concern. We were just temporarily trading below that. We popped back up above that yesterday. Market set to, to move higher this morning. And again, one of the things that we've talked about here lately is markets were very oversold going into the start of earnings season. Earnings season now starting out here. Okay, uh, Tesla reported earnings yesterday. Big increase in net revenues uh, for that company. Had a couple of have, have had a couple of loser companies come out as well. Uh, Netflix obviously weighing on the markets yesterday. Uh, that stock down about 35% as they lost subscribers to their business for really uh, to a, a, a magnitude for the first time. Now opting to now come back and start talking about well, maybe we'll do an ad service where you'll subscribe to Netflix and still get commercials. The whole point of subscription was to get rid of the commercials. So I'm not, I'll, just go back to, I'll just go back to cable if I want commercials. Uh, but again, this is, you know, everybody's going to start looking, as we talked about before, between Disney and Netflix and Amazon and all these, you know, Warner Brothers, which was just spun off from uh, AT&T, all these different streaming companies are now all competing for content. And the problem is, is just creating that much new content to attract a subscriber. You can create content, but if it's not good content, it's not going to attract viewers and keep them there. And, and this is going to be a problem. This is going to be the challenge. I mean, the, the ability to create really good content is, say, a blockbuster movie, uh, you know, as an example. You know, those are very hard to come by. And when you create one, it's hard to create another one. You know, a good example of what I'm talking about is Disney and the Marvel series they did, starting with Iron Man, moving through Thor, the characters of that, and then eventually to the Avengers Endgame. That whole series for Disney was were, were just back-to-back -back strings of blockbusters all the way through great content then they killed off all the characters so now what are you going to do and you know this this is going to be disney's problem is trying to come up with the replacement for that really great 
string of movies from the Avengers. Um, if, if the Eternals, which is their latest venture, is any indication of what's coming, Disney's going to have a very big problem in terms of their streaming service. Star Wars has run its course. So again, what are you going to do next? What's going to be the, the next generational iconic set of movies? For the current millennial generation, it was the Avengers. Now, what are they going to do next? That's going to be, and this is the problem. There's so much demand for content and such because of so many different services. Creating that content is now really the challenge. And that's going to be what separates the winners from the losers. Netflix may have just run into that problem, and we'll see what happens. Uh, okay, when we come back from the break, uh, we'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz. We'll talk a little bit about iBonds. Just had a ton of questions on iBonds lately. Um, we, uh, Michael wrote an article on our website yesterday talking about iBonds. We'll dig into that a little bit. Um, also, uh, the in issue of quantitative tightening that is coming. What does that mean for the markets? And also how to, to portfolio kind of manage and position portfolios for where we are in the current cycle, particularly as economic growth begins to slow and the commodity trade begins to wane. We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me as well. Uh, futures pointing up a little bit this morning. Uh, commodities down uh, just a tad. Gold a little bit uh, negative this morning. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, not surprising. Yesterday we saw a big rally in bonds. Uh, yesterday, of course, they, you know, those were just extremely oversold. So not surprising to see, you know, uh, finally a bit of a bounce there in, in that, uh, you know, in that asset class. And, and this is one thing we've seen as of late is the correlation between bonds and stocks has, has, has picked up. When stocks are selling off, bonds have been selling off. And this has really been just a, a fairly large rotation. And as we talked about um, on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, we talked about the sell-off and kind of assets on Friday and Monday as as investors were having to pay their tax bills. Now that it's over with, we're now seeing a rotation back into assets. And we saw that fairly decently yesterday. Good day in the markets yesterday. And, you know, uh, and I think we're going to see kind of a continuation of that, particularly as we continue to see earnings here, as I said, you know, over the last couple of days. And, and we have this in our morning commentary as well on the website that, you know, with a lot of the selling pressure that's been going on, there's a lot of underweighting of portfolios by portfolio managers. They're underweight stocks. They're overweight cash. They are underweight bonds because of the sell-off in bonds. 
and their sentiment is fairly negative. And, and when you have that kind of combination, that really kind of sets up for a decent reflexive rally in the markets. And, you know, we're potentially very close to that. Um, yesterday, our money flow indicator just about turned positive on the S&P. Probably we'll get that. Well, we will get that turn today. And that's generally a pretty good signal that money is flowing back into markets. And so we're likely going to see a bit of a follow-through rally here, particularly as as earnings for the first quarter will probably be fairly decent. Again, working off still some of that leftover kind of lingering effect of all of the money that was infused into the economy in 2020-2021, that was kind of fueling into the first quarter. And that's going to work its way off as we get into Q2, Q3, Q4 of this year. But first quarter earnings are probably going to be fairly decent for most companies. Uh, of course, there's always going to be pockets like Netflix and, and others, and probably some more of those companies that you know were the, the kind of the COVID lockdown winners. Those will probably still have a challenge as we're kind of going back to the non-lockdown period, right? We're going back to work. We're, we're getting back to life in general. So there still be pockets of the markets that have some weakness. Energy should still do well because of high energy prices. But this is part and parcel of, of just, you know, kind of what's going on in the markets. And as I noted in, the, in our opening commentary, you know, the, the mega cap stocks are now in a bit of trouble this month. They're down about 8% for the month. The bottom 490 are flat for the month. So they're now supporting the top end, which was exactly the opposite of what we saw back in, January and February, where it was the bottom 490 stocks that were getting decimated by the markets while the mega caps were holding up value. So, you know, we've had this really interesting rotation occurring in markets. And of course, now we'll have to just see how this works out. But, you know, one of those issues that we're going to be facing as we move forward, as I said, is uh, in the first week of May, and we've got a lot of Fed speakers coming out next week uh, before that meeting. Uh, that are they're slated to speak we'll see what they say but you know we've got um, the fed supposedly to announce a 50 basis point rate hike there's you know some talk of 75 basis points i don't think that'll happen um and the schedule for starting to reduce their balance sheet so what is that and, and again when we start tightening that monetary supply historically that it hasn't had an impact on markets will it be different this time that's really kind of the conversation this morning michael Leibowitz, welcome to the show how are you this morning I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. So, yeah, so um, we've got uh, kind of a, a bit of activity coming up here from the Fed over the next couple of weeks. But, you know, the big the big conversation will be around quantitative tightening. And if you take a look at their balance sheet as of yesterday, it's still kind of, you know, hovering at its highs. It's not going down. It's not going up. Um, but it's definitely not reducing at this point. So, um, right. you know, liquidity is still there in the markets uh, at the moment, but that is slated to change um, as they start to tighten their balance sheets. So, you know, the expectation will be how fast will they do it, right? Right. And can I, let me just, uh, I want to clear something up because I see it all over Twitter and people will write things like, I know the Fed has stopped buying, stopped doing QE, but the balances are still going up. Mm -hmm. Is the Fed cheating? Are they, are they buying behind our back? And I think what we're seeing, and look, I don't, I don't know exactly what they're doing. I can they're only cheating. see what they're cheating. <laughs> I can only see what the data they publish. But if you remember, they're buying treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. 
And mortgage-backed securities are not like other bonds. Most other bonds, you say, I want to buy it today. Mm -hmm. You buy it today and it'll settle. In other words, it'll show up in your account in a couple of days. And that holds true for the uh, Fed as well. When they buy something, a treasury, they get it in a couple of days and it'll show up and their reporting of it will be, for the most part, accurate because it, it's so close. Mortgages are a little different. When you, first of all, if you think about it, when you take out a mortgage, if I go and take out a mortgage today, it's April 21st, that mortgage may not settle. So I may not settle on my house till May or June. Now the company that's writing me the mortgage may not sell it, may not securitize it for another month. So what they may do is say, okay, we're gonna form this mortgage with Mike and it's April right now, we're gonna sell it we're going to sell it for July. So the Fed will come in and they'll buy that mortgage, even though the mortgage hasn't even been formed yet, but the, it'll settle in July, not in April, like every other bond. So what we're seeing are balances of the mortgage-backed security arm of the portfolio fluctuating. In other words, they still have settlements in April and probably still in May that haven't or I guess May and June that haven't settled yet and will settle. That'll increase their balances. At the same time, the amount of prepayments, people that are refining have gone down sharply. There aren't a lot of housing on the houses on the market, so there aren't a lot of mortgages being paid off when someone sells their house. So they probably overestimated back in January and February how many mortgages to buy. So that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the remnants of that, and I think it's a lot of noise. But come May, we're going to start, the Fed will announce QT. When it will start, we don't know. How much it'll be, we don't know. We have some good guesses. And that's, you know, come June, July, we'll start seeing potentially the balance sheet, sh balance sheet shrink easier <laughs> for you to say. Um, and, then, and then we can, you know, I think you'll see that the Fed isn't really cheating. They're just dealing with with something that's hard to to calculate well i think it's interesting you know when you talk about mortgage prepayments you know those have let's just be honest those have pretty much probably gone to zero i can't imagine a lot of people you know kind of prepaying mortgages at this well, point the, to refinance right. into a higher mortgage right zero yeah <laughs> The only prepayments are people selling their houses and paying down their mortgage. Exactly, with that. exactly. Um, and that activity is relatively low. Yeah, um, and I think that's going to, you know, this, and this is going to be interesting to watch, you know, because this is something I wrote about, you know, um, year before last or last year, I can't remember exactly, but talking about there really is no housing inventory shortage and all of a sudden the months of supply of houses is rising fairly quickly as, people want to sell their house now and they're realizing that the ability to sell their house at a high price is quickly evaporating. So now there's becoming a, a rush of inventory to markets to try to get their house sold. Cause you know, before it's like, no worries, you know, the prices just keep going up. I'm in no rush to sell. Now all of a sudden, maybe I better sell it and get it out, you know, get it out there. So, you know, this is going to be this kind of interesting swing that we often see in the markets, uh, particularly when it comes to real estate is that things change very quickly. You know, then this is this is one of the problems when we go back and we talk about interest rates in particular is, you know, we hear a lot of commentary from people like, oh, well, low interest rates justify high valuations. OK. Um, and, you know, low interest rates mean housing prices go up. OK. You know, anything that you tie to interest rates as a as a method to secure some type of long-term vision, you know, for some investment you're making is like, oh, I'm buying it cheap because interest rates are so low. 
isn't really the case because when interest rates reverse, that cheapness gets expensive very quickly because as we have just seen, interest rates historically do and can rise very quickly. Right. All right. Here's the way I kind of think about what's going on in the economy and the markets, you know, specifically to the housing market is that if you look at demographics, how many people are kind of in the age of 25 to 40 that are looking to buy houses? How many people are retiring and looking to downsize? What's the economic growth rate? And what you're going to end up is a growth percentage. And let's just say from that, you say, okay, all that should result in house prices and house demand going up about 3% a year. Mm -hmm. Just pick a number, right? Well, it went up 20% last year, right? So you can follow that trend at 3% and house prices will just increase a little bit every year. And we can do that for 100 years. Or you can be very volatile around that band. So if you're up 20% last year and the, the fundamental the fundamental driver is rising at 3%, something has to give. Right. And whether it drops 20% this year or whether it drops 7% for the next three years, something has to give to get that rate back to its fundamental rate. And, and you can and, do the same math for stocks and the economy as a whole. Yeah, you know, and it's a good point you bring up because for decades, house prices rose at about 3% on average. I mean, you could almost kind of, you know, time your watch to the, the rise in housing prices. And, you know, we didn't have these housing bubbles, you know, going, you know, so quickly through the markets, you know, previous to the turn of the century. And um, once, you know, in 2003, 2004, when Alan Greenspan first promoted the idea that, oh, everybody should own a house, let's, let's, let's uh, you know, get everybody into adjustable rate mortgages and the Fed actually promoting the value of an adjustable rate mortgage, um, we started creating this massive volatility around that 3% growth rate. And that three, and to your point, that 3% growth rate is still there. Um, but we're just massively, you know, uh, vibrating around that 3% growth rate. And this makes it much more difficult for um, investors and others. You know, it's, it's typically, you know, tends to suck investors in right at the peaks. And, you know, they wind up getting trapped on the wrong side of the decline, which if the Fed hikes rates like they're talking about, you know, we're set for another housing decline as, as we uh, go through the rest of this year. Next year, we'll be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Michael Leibowitz joining me as well, talking uh, a little bit about just kind of the markets where we are. The Federal Reserve, of course, now starting to talk about tightening interest rates and tightening their, their balance sheet. In other words, doing what's called quantitative tightening. 
I wanted to touch on something that I, I, I discussed a little bit yesterday that, you know, there's a lot of this, and, and, and this is going to get us into I-bonds conversation as well, talking about inflation. And, you know, as I mentioned yesterday on the show, you know, there's been a lot of commentary about how QE is inflationary. But yet history tells you going back that, QE doesn't create inflation because it's an asset swap. Now, does it affect certain assets? Yes, it creates inflation in stock market prices because when the Federal Reserve is buying bonds and swapping that asset for excess reserves at banks, that those reserves find their way into the financial markets. And even if you want to argue that that doesn't happen, that's okay. It's still the psychological benefit that pushes investors into the markets because as they do QE, it suppresses interest rates. Then we come up with all these idiotic arguments of how low interest rates justify high valuations, et cetera. And so the psychological push pushes markets higher because of investors going into the markets to buy equities that are rising in price. And, and again, this is exactly this is not a surprise, by the way. Ben Bernanke in 2010 said the reason we do QE is to boost asset prices. As clear as it can be, why do we boost asset prices is to increase consumer confidence, which in turn turns into a boost for economic growth. That's the whole logic behind QE. But it does not create inflation because as we go back and look over the last decade, there was no inflation. The Fed could not get inflation above 2%. So as I said yesterday, why do we have inflation now? Well, the reason we have inflation now is because we spent $5 trillion of fiscal policy, not monetary policy, injecting that directly into households. We gave consumers money. We increased the money supply markedly, gave them cash to spend and at a time where the economy is shut down. So supply and demand, as we discussed yesterday, leads to inflation. So here you are. You have inflation. QT is not deflationary because it's simply an asset swap in the opposite direction. This is all it is. So Again, that's not going to create the deflation. That's not going to create deflation, but it will decrease consumption. It will decrease asset prices because of the psychological change, the reversal of that psychology. And that will lead to slower economic growth and less inflation. So as you have less as you have less demand in the economy, you have rising supplies now as as manufacturers are now creating a lot of supply. So that supply-demand imbalance is going to reverse later this year, and you will get disinflationary pressures. So this is the important point to remember. Um, got an email yesterday saying, well, you know, house prices went up. Yes, because you had near zero interest rates. So people are going to go out and finance houses and mortgages and everything else at low interest rates. That's not inflationary itself as a function that is saying, QE caused inflation. No, low interest rates caused the, the, the purchases of houses and that boom in housing because I could buy a house I couldn't afford at, you know, 2% interest, right? So, you know, there, there are certainly, you know, knockoff effects that created inflation in certain assets. But in terms of overall inflation and what we talk about as consumer inflation, there is no link between QE and inflation in that regard. So um, this brings us, though, but talking about this inflation that we do have right now, which is a function of that monetary policy, as Milton Friedman said, 
inflation is always and everywhere uh, a monetary phenomenon, which is we injected all this capital into households. They spin it as, well, you knew they would. And that's now created the inflation, which has now created this whole, you know, constant demand for I-bonds because now everybody's going, well, I can get 10% in an I-bond. Um, there's some, as we've talked about on the show, so a lot of tricks and caveats to that. And again, the real issue is, is that your return is ultimately going to be zero on I-bonds. Mike, you want to flesh that out for us a bit? Yeah. So I just put out an article yesterday on I-bonds and I really dug into it. Um, and just as a backdrop, my father-in-law passed away in 2018 and my wife started going through his estate and there were a couple of I-bonds sitting there in his safe. And she goes, what do I do with these? And, you know, there was, they're like in $10,000 increments. So I looked at them and said, I have no clue what an I-bond is. Did a little research and said, you know what, hold on to these things. They were yielding about four or 5% at the time. And, you know, and I'm in, you know, I've been in investments for 30 years and I really didn't know what an I-bond is. So I-bonds are kind of new to everyone. No one really paid attention to them till now. Now that you have inflation that's running close to 10%. So here's what an I-bond is. It will guarantee you a 0% real return. By real, I mean after inflation. So is that good or bad? The problem is it's good. <laughs> and I and in my paper, I call this a no-brainer trade because you are going to earn a negative real return in many bonds. So again, inflation is running 8.5% now. What's the yield on the 30-year bond is 3%. Everything else is below that. Junk bonds are 5 or 6%. Right now, they all have negative real yields. So if you look at the bond and Lance, I put out the paper yesterday mm -hmm. and at the time, the, the inflation component. So what it is, is a bond that pays you inflation. So prior to, to yesterday, that rate of inflation for the next six months was 7.12%. So for the next six months, holders of an I bond got essentially half of 7.12%. It just reset to nine point, I believe, six percent. So for the next six months, holders will get nine point half of nine point six percent. Now, look, it's a no-brainer, and if I could put a lot of money into it, I would. The problem is there's a lot of caveats. One caveat is you can only buy ten thousand a year per person. Now, if you're a family, you can buy ten thousand a year per person. Uh, hold hold on, kids. hold on. A husband can buy ten thousand. A wife can buy ten thousand. So you can right. buy 20000 as a married couple. And if you have a business, you can buy another 10000 yep. and your children can buy 10000 each. And you can additionally, if you have a tax refund coming, mm -hmm. you can apply 5000 of it towards the I-bond. So effectively, a person can buy 15000 A couple, in theory, could buy 25000 That's the limit. And there's another caveat, too that you can't sell it within the first year. And if you sell it between year or redeem it, not sell it, redeem it. If you redeem it between year one and five, you have to basically pay a quarter of a year's interest. So if, if we say that we're gonna earn 9% for the year, what we're really, and we decide to redeem it after the year, it'll look more like six and a half, seven percent 7%. Right. But again, I know that's, basically a zero real yield, that's better than many fixed income alternatives. 
Now, the other issue is, unlike you can buy tips, you can buy other inflation protected products. The other problem is you can't go to Charles Schwab or Fidelity or TD or whoever your custodian is say, hey, I want to buy some of these. You have to go to Treasury Direct, it's treasurydirect.com and buy it directly from them. Or if you elect to do it with a refund through the IRS, there's a form that you have to attach to your filings that will buy it for you. If you want to sell it, same thing, you have to or redeem it. You have to go back to Treasury Direct. Mm -hmm. Now, the you know, the nice thing is, for better or worse, you're guaranteed basically a 0% real yield. And this is what I kind of want to harp on. Most people would say, well, that's not very good. What it does is it preserves your purchasing power. And you should be getting paid to borrow money. And we get that. And that's the way life used to be, that you would actually increase your purchasing power by foregoing buying stuff today and saving it. But in this real world where the government runs massive deficits, where the Fed has to essentially try to help them fund the deficit with very low rates, with QE, with who knows what kind of tools come out in the future, we need real negative yields in order to fund that. And as these debts grow more than the economy, it just becomes more true. So as you kind of look out 10 years, 20 years, assuming there's not a drastic change in the way we do things, we should expect negative real yields for treasuries, for treasury securities, and for you know high-grade corporate bonds, and even at times junk bonds, municipal bonds, you name it. So are they a good investment? I, I think they are a good place to put away money. Again, you can only put away so much, but they make a lot of sense yeah, to me. Let, let, let's, but let's talk about, you know, let's stretch this out. Right now, it sounds like a good deal, right? The, and this is this is why people are all of, all of a sudden you know, their get I bonds are getting so much attention because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I get a ten percent coupon on this particular bond. It's not fixed. So, in other words, if I buy a Ford Motor Credit bond as an example, or a Ford Motor bond at five percent, I get five percent every single year until it matures. This yield will drop as we get disinflation and and inflation goes back to sub two percent in the next year or two so will the yield on I-bonds. And here's going to be the problem for a lot of investors there, because then at that point, as yields drop back to sub 2%, as inflation drops back to 2%, the stock market is going to start returning more in the future. And then like, well, why am I holding these bonds at, you know, one and a half percent when I'm missing 8% in the markets? And then they go sell their bonds. So, you know, the point to Mike, Mike's point is, is that I-bonds are great for if you've got some savings you want to put away and make sure they say adjusted for future purchasing power and you don't care about anything else, I-bonds are great for that. But if you're doing this as a trading vehicle, you're going to get run out of these bonds in the next year or two. Be right back after the break.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of medicare realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show so uh you know i've told you from time to time brent puts little stickies on my uh morning notes and this morning it says if roosters can start the day by screaming then damn it so can i <laughs> And it's funny because every morning uh, we have a, a a ranch directly behind our house. A menagerie. Uh, no, it's a ranch. Yeah. Um, it's full of cattle. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we also have a lot of coyotes that that prowl around the area. Oh, so yeah. the rancher has donkeys <laughs> on his property, mm-hmm. and so we've nicknamed the donkey Steve because every morning, right about right about the time I'm getting up, he starts going off like an alarm clock. So, you know, I pretty much wake up to Steve every morning, hee-hawing at something over on, uh, you know, the, the ranch of whatever's yes. happening. So, anyway, life if, in, if, if Steve can wake up screaming, damn it, so can I. Life in the exburbs. Exactly. People ask why I have guns. Uh, anyway... <laughs> So, yeah, just for the break, and, and Mike, I'll let you kind of weigh in on that last comment. You know, one of the problems that I think investors are going to run into with I-bonds, they sound great right now, right? I'm going to get 10%. And then in a year or two, they're going to be realizing they're getting 2% and the stock market's going up. And then they're going to wind up selling their bonds at a, you know, and pay a penalty to sell them so they can go put that money back into the stock market. You know, I think, I think you know, again, as I said, if, you, if you've got savings that, you're trying to save for a house, for instance, or something, and you're like you're trying to save for down payment of a house, and you're gonna buy a house in ten years, and that's what you're saving for. So every year you buy ten thousand dollars worth of an I bond and put it away. I think that's a great way to save for a specific purchase on something that you can't afford risk in, because again, your your net value will be zero in 10 years when you're ready to buy that house, which is what you want. You want to maintain that purchasing power of those savings for some future purchase. But I think if you're buying it as an investment vehicle, you're going to wind up psychologically wind up making a mistake by selling it to try to chase some other asset that's going up more. Yeah, that's an incredibly important point. And I think you may be you may be a little confused that I'm calling it a no-brainer and Lance is telling you to be careful. And I think where I I may have dropped the ball a little bit is that it's a great savings tool. Yeah, it's not a good investing tool. It may be a good investing tool for a year or two, but but if you're planning on holding it for 20 years, think of it as a savings tool. If you have a newborn kid and you have a sum of money that someone gave you to pay for college and you don't want to blow it, you don't want to take any risk. You just need that money in 18 years. Mm -hmm. That may be a good place to put it. But over time every investment has its day in the sun and every investment has very poor periods i bonds are no different there are going to be times when they're great times where they're not and it's important to shift money around and 
go to the assets that are most wanted mm-hmm. at each time throughout economic cycles. Yeah, and, and again, look, I, I'm I'm not uh, again I'm not arguing with you either, and and I don't think you dropped the ball at all. It is a no-brainer investment. I just, you know, what uh, what I'm always concerned about is investor psychology because investors always make emotional decisions chasing some yield you know the yield chase for the last couple of years mike has been in uh, you know high yield junk because you know it's it's high yield bonds so what can be wrong with them and and that's been you know a trade for a lot of people you know it's like oh wow i can get four percent in a high yield bond versus you know a treasury at half a percent why would i do that but you know you take on a lot of risk and investors tend to chase things just because of the yield um you know, on a psychological basis without really thinking through what ultimately is going to be the outcome of that. And then and, and then again, when that other side of or when that other shoe drops, so to speak, they make emotionally bad investment decisions, right? They go sell all those to go buy something else that is probably overvalued now that they wind up actually losing money in. So, you know, that's just the, the history of investors. And I just wanted investors to be aware that that really great looking 10 percent coupon that you're getting right now is going to go away and it will go away by next year and then you're going well why am i owning this it's not paying 10 percent anymore yeah you know that's that's going to be part of the problem and here's just a scenario where it could prove to be not such a great idea for investors not for savers for investors market drops 50 percent between now and september stocks are on bargain your money's locked up you can't get it out for a year wouldn't you love to have that ten thousand dollars when the market's down fifty percent come September? Right, you're exactly. not going to have it. Well, you know, look, and, and let's let's switch gears back to the regular bond market as well. You know, as I said earlier, you know, say I buy, say I buy a Ford, you know, Ford Motor bond. I'm just picking a bond out of the blue here, but and let's say it has a five percent yield on it. I'm going to get that yield until maturity, right? I'm going to I'm going to make five percent of my money for the next three years, four years, five years, whatever that yield to maturity is. That's what I'm going to make on that bond. And the great thing about bonds is that you, from the day you buy the bond, you can calculate your return to the one hundredths of a cent, you know, of of your return. You know exactly to the penny what you're going to earn at maturity of that bond if you hold it till maturity maturity and you, you can't do that with stocks you can't do that everything else is a guess but with bonds you know exactly what you're going to get and the one thing you know i know there's a lot of people paying it's like oh my god rates have gone up bond prices have gone down it's you know mo- you know i'm losing money in bonds folks you're getting an almost three percent yield on 10-year treasuries now you know i i had i had people calling me last year going if i can just get three percent of my money for the next 10 years i'm good here you go, right? And now you don't want them. And this is, and, and Mike, this is my my point to psychology, is now that you're getting the three percent yield, nobody wants to buy them because they're down in price, right? And you know, I think this is a great time to start looking at the corporate bond market, start looking at you know other bond markets because yields have come up, bond prices have come down. A lot of that premium that was built into bonds over the last couple of years has gone away. And now all of a sudden you can start looking to buy some bonds that can generate two, three, four percent over the next three, four, five years. And you're going to be wishing you had those next year or the year after. And, you know, that's what I said. I said that what I bonds guarantee you is a zero percent real return after inflation. If you can buy that Ford bond at four or five percent and you think that over the next five years, inflation will average three percent. 
you're buying a bond that will have a real yield of plus one or two percent. Mm -hmm. Now you're taking credit risk because Ford is a company, Ford can go bankrupt, it's not a US treasury, but you're gonna earn more than the I bond over time, even though it's not paying 10% this year. Right. You're gonna be guaranteed four to 5% every year for the next, you know, however long that bond is till it matures. Yeah. Well, and again, and my point is, and you know, my real point about that comment was, is that, and this is always the case, Mike, when stocks are in the tank, nobody wants to buy them, right? Because they're down. And now here you are, you have bonds in the tank. They're down under pressure because interest rates are going up. This is when you, you know, bonds are in a bear market. The, we've had one of the largest drawdowns in the history of the bond market. This is, you know, the, the bond market drawdown this year is equivalent to the financial crisis drawdown in equities on a relative basis. Now, why are you not in the market right now buying bonds hand over fist when you've had this type of a bear market? Because psychologically, it's like, oh, my gosh, interest rates are going to go to 300 percent. No, they're not. <laughs> you know, interest rates can't get to five because you're going to cause a tremendous amount of economic lockup that occurs. And when that and when the economy does lock up, which and as, as Mike and I talked about earlier, and we're already seeing the effects of this in the housing market and other other areas of the market that lockup of the economy is already happening and you know it's kind of it's kind of like a snowball rolling downhill it's rolling downhill it just hasn't gained a lot of momentum yet but we're going to see that later this year and interest rates are going to come back down and look this isn't just a bond market psychology thing look at facebook facebook is getting distracted and you know everyone wanted facebook in 2021, 19, 18, 2017, everyone yeah. on Facebook, it's part of the fangs. It's one of the market generals. It leads the, it led the market. No one wants it anymore. And it's actually not a big fan of the company, but it's trading at a PE that's pretty reasonable. And you can start to make arguments that it's borderline a value company. Dare I say that, Lance? <laughs> well, you know, you have to buy it for Instagram. Um, I had a long car. So we, you know, we rented a beach house. Uh, my birthday's coming up. So my wife rented a beach house last weekend for Easter and we went and spent a few days. And so all the, all my kids were out there and, and we had a really good conversation about social media. Because um, I was, you know, my question was, is what do you use and what don't you use? And we talked about Elon Musk buying Twitter and they're like, nobody uses Twitter. You know, that's no, nobody uses that. Well, I go well, guys so, like us. Yeah. And I, I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I said, so I said, what do you and all your friends use? Said we use three things, Snapchat, Instagram and um, TikTok. That's it. Uh, everything else is for old people. So, you know, so if you did now, Facebook owns Instagram. So if you buy can buy Facebook cheap enough and you can buy Facebook for the value of Instagram, now you've got potentially a purchase, right? Um, but if you're, if you're betting on social media, you don't bet on Twitter. Um, Twitter's still trading around its, pre, its, its IPO price, which kind of tells you where that's potentially heading to. Um, TikTok is pretty much eating the entire world right now, social media-wise. But you know, that's, uh, you know, talking about Facebook in, in particular, is the Facebook part of Facebook is dead. It's the Instagram piece that you want to try to buy cheap enough. Mike and I talk about this with Overstock.com, uh, another company. You, you don't buy Overstock for the furniture business. If you can buy it cheap enough on a value basis, you buy it for their crypto 
uh, blockchain business and you kind of get the furniture business for free. Fair, fair statement, Mike? 30 seconds. Fair statement. One of my favorites, as I keep telling you, and as it keeps going down, <laughs> it just not. We just haven't got it cheap enough yet, but when it gets there, we'll get it for free if you just wait long enough. Exactly. All right, wrap up the show for the day. Uh, we'll be back, of course, uh, tomorrow. Financial Fitness Friday. Get by the website. Get our latest daily commentary that's out. We'll have a blog post up tomorrow. Newsletter out this weekend. Also check out Simplevisor.com. Lots of new upgrades, innovation, uh, new upgrades to our charting services. Our robo platform is available now for you uh, for digital investing services. Um, all there at simplevisor.com. Make sure you can check it out. A 30-day free trial. Um, you can check out everything that's there. Follow our portfolios and more, simplevisor.com. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, stick around. Our three minutes on markets and money coming right up. If I had a little money, it's a rich man's world. It's a